Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. King David had and would continue to have wonderful successes and victories as the king of Israel. The Ark of the Covenant, the place of God's physical presence among his people, had just been brought into the city of Jerusalem while David danced for joy, leading it on its way. But something still bothered David. From the vantage point of his royal palace, David could sit and look out at the ark, which still resided in a tabernacle, the tent of meeting that had been used since the days of Moses. And and David said, something's not right here. I dwell in this beautiful house, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So... David vowed that he would build a house for God, a a temple, something worthy of all the great blessings and successes that God had given him. Except that God, ever the giver, surprised David once again. God said through Nathan the prophet, Yahweh will make for you a house, David. When your days are fulfilled and, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom shall be made forever sure before me. Your throne shall be established forever. What a promise. God continued his track record of surprising and unexpected promises right when we least expect them or deserve them. David, who knew that he had received everything from God in the first place, right when he thought he finally had something to offer back to God, that he could build a house for him, God had yet another promise up his sleeve. That David's descendants, David's house, would be established forever. Now God told him, Some of them would stray. God foresaw the iniquity of some of David's descendants, that God would need to discipline them for their good. But God promised he would steadfastly be faithful to them in spite of those human sins and failings. Now, I wonder how David pictured all of that taking place. I wonder what David was thinking in that astounding moment of promise. I'm sure he was joyful and and happy to know that God would always be looking out for his people, that his throne and his descendants would be established, not just for a long time, but God said forever. There was no other kingdom on earth that could say that. So what did that look like then as David was trying to imagine it? Whatever he thought of, I'm I'm sure he he didn't picture what ended up happening. How, How could he? None of us know the future. But one thing was certain, that God did exactly what he said he would do. God was faithful even to those wandering descendants of David. Yes, some of the kings that would follow David were good, but many of them weren't. And so after centuries of idolatry and sinful behavior and fracturing of the kingdom and and trusting in foreign alliances rather than in God, God did discipline his children He permitted them to be carried off into exile. But through it all, God was still faithful and true to his word. God's steadfast love remained with the sons of David. And he preserved a remnant of them, and he preserved the line of David. And it it wouldn't be how David could have imagined it, but it was how God knew that it needed to be. So what did that look like? 
What shape did God's promise take a thousand years after David? Well, it looked like a man. A simple carpenter from the region of Galilee named Joseph. And Matthew describes him in his gospel as a son of David. Except he's not a king. He's far from it, actually. Joseph is what you might call a background person. Especially when you consider him in the whole scope of the Roman Empire and the whole nation of Israel and the entire history of the world. There is nothing about Joseph, per se, that that most people would ever take notice of him. In fact, if you think about it, we still today know very little about Joseph. Yes, most people would know his name. He's, He's well known In that way, if you were to go out on the street and ask people who were the earthly parents of of Jesus, I'm sure most people would be able to tell you Mary and Joseph. After all, they're in every single Christmas pageant. They're mentioned in every single Christmas Eve service. But when you think about it, beyond that, we don't know much about Joseph. Here's what we do know. We know Joseph and Mary were in Galilee when they were betrothed to be married. And Matthew calls him a just man, particular when he was trying to figure out what to do when he learned that that Mary was pregnant. So even though at that time Joseph was uninformed about God's plan for a short time, at least he was trying to do the right thing. We know that Joseph is a descendant of David. Matthew makes that abundantly clear in his genealogy. And the angel, when he first comes to Joseph, calls him son of David. We know later on that Jesus is called the carpenter's son, so we assume that that was the family profession, that Joseph was a carpenter, a tradesman. And we know that Joseph was alive at least until Jesus was 12 years old because Luke's gospel tells us that that's how old Jesus was when the Holy Family traveled to Jerusalem that one time. But we are fairly certain that Joseph died at some point after that, and that he wasn't alive during Jesus's ministry because only Mary is ever mentioned. And when Jesus gives the care of his mother to his disciple John from the cross, well, that indicates that Mary is a widow. But other than these few things, that's all we know about Joseph. Well, except one more thing. That Joseph, who for all intents and purposes was a background person in the course of history, that he had one incredibly important vocation, and that's what we celebrate today. That Joseph was the guardian of Jesus. And that vocation he did very well. We heard in our gospel reading today how he, how he faithfully followed God's direction for his life, taking taking his family to live as refugees in in Egypt, and then after a while guiding them back to live in a new city, avoiding those who would mean Jesus' harm and and settling in the town of Nazareth. And if you think about it, that's not not easy to do. Those were tall tasks of faith. But, But we hear not one word of hesitation or complaint from Joseph. We only hear of his faithful obedience. You see, God had promised to build King David a house. And so all these years later, a carpenter, a son of David, welcomed into his home a new wife who was pregnant with child, and a child not of his own body, but certainly of his own heart. The carpenter welcomed the eternal carpenter, God in the flesh, 
who had come to fulfill a promise made to David that Jesus had come to build the true temple, an eternal house. And so as Joseph raised and protected and taught this little child, Joseph may have even said to himself, this is my Savior. This is the one we have been praying for for so long. This is the one in whom we hoped he has come to save us. Now, Joseph didn't get to see that salvation fully take place. He didn't live to see the shame of the cross or the triumph of the empty tomb. He, he probably never even saw Jesus perform a miracle. But that didn't matter. Joseph died full of faith and hope because he knew better than anyone else in this world besides maybe Mary that God had indeed come to dwell among them. That this child, this child who had learned to walk and talk in his house, this child who had given him hugs and, and ate at his table and slept under his roof and played and prayed as part of his family, that this child had come to save him. This child had come to be his savior. And so when it came time for Joseph to close his eyes in this life, whenever that may have been, Joseph opened his eyes to the life that his earthly child had come to secure for him. While on earth, Joseph had cared for, provided for, and guarded Jesus by building him a house, a home. But now in eternal life, Jesus is forever caring for, providing for, and guarding Joseph. Jesus, the carpenter's son, has built an everlasting house that is sure forever. And he built it for his father, David. He built it for his foster father, Joseph. And he built it for all who put their trust in him, including so-called background people. Joseph was a background person. Again, he is not significant in the eyes of the world. And yet, he is significant to Jesus. Imagine the love that Jesus and Joseph shared while living together here on earth, and, and imagine the love that they still share today in heaven. Joseph may not have been significant in the eyes of the world, but he had an incredibly significant role to play in the course of God's plan of salvation, in being a part of God fulfilling those promises made to David, the promise that was fulfilled in Jesus. And so Joseph's part of the plan was to be Jesus's guardian. On so many occasions and in so many ways, we too may feel at times like background people. After all, very few of us, if any of us, will be remembered in the course of history. A thousand years from now, it's unlikely that anyone will remember our names or, or what we did in this life. And even as we live today, how many of us have days where we just feel like nothing we do seems to be noticed? We're not looking for historical greatness, but at least to have some significance in our lives would be nice. And yet, so often, the things that we do and the lives that we lead can seem so insignificant. The world is always at the ready to tell you how to be more significant. Well, you've got to do this, or, or you've got to achieve that, or you've got to maintain this kind of level of income, or have a certain amount of followers on social media, or have a certain kind of lifestyle. 
And your sinful nature is always telling you to give in to your basest desires, trying to convince you to pursue glory and and those prideful feelings. and, And that all of that is just the cost of doing business in this world. And the devil is always ready to tempt you into following paths to glory and worldly success, to focus overly on yourself, all in an attempt to stand out, all to achieve some definition of significance. But God tells us differently. God has told you, before you even had the chance to prove any worthiness or significance to him, or to the world for that matter. In fact, before you even could do any of those things, God tells you that he has already had mercy on you, that he has loved you, and and he created you, and he redeemed you, that while you were yet a sinner, that he sent his son to die for you, that Christ came specifically for you. That's how significant you are in the eyes of God. And and so he has called you to be his own. He has baptized you and washed away your sins. He has adopted you into his family, and he has built this eternal house for you. And that's why today, March 19th, when the church observes the festival of St. Joseph, guardian of Jesus, it's why this is important. Because today we are reminded of at least three critically important things. First of all, it reminds us of the importance of parenthood and, 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 and grandparenthood. Today, we see the importance of fathers as providers and protectors and family leaders, that these are the tasks that God has given to fathers. And of course, mothers are just as important in their family with their own tasks that God gives them. And we see that in in the Holy Family with Jesus' relationship with his mother, Mary. But despite how important we feel fatherhood and motherhood truly are, most days spent as a parent, well, it just makes you feel more like a background person at times. Like the constant work you're doing as a mother or father is never recognized or appreciated. But do you know who does recognize it and appreciates it? It's the one who gave you that calling in the first place. God has called you to this holy work. And so in sacrificing your life and and your, your time and your energy, you do it for him as well as for your children. And your children will benefit not not only in this lifetime, but in their eternal lifetime, having been raised in the faith. There is no more significant person in a child's life than their parents. And so just as Jesus has given us an eternal home with him, so we as parents get to guide our children down the path that leads them to Jesus as well. But this isn't only true for the vocation of parents. The second thing that this day reminds us is that in all of our various vocations, and a vocation is a a God-given opportunity to serve others, in all the vocations we, we have with our jobs, in our relationships with family and friends, or in the callings that we have with our neighbors or, or with our fellow church members, that a vocation is a calling to love and serve someone else that God has given us. And that love and that service that we perform is often done without anyone noticing. Our vocations are constantly happening in the background of life. 
And so we may be tempted to think that no one notices. But again, God does. And he delights in all that we do to honor him. And lastly, this day about Joseph reminds us that even if we are called to be background people in this world and in our lives, even if we don't receive any of the so-called significance that this world says we deserve, that this in no way diminishes the great love that God has for us and has given to us through his son, Jesus Christ, who, who died for our sins and rose again to eternal life. We follow in the way of his cross and his resurrection. And we see that this road that we are on is full of faithful saints who have gone before us in this kind of living. And so together with them, we know that we will join in the impressive song, the significant song of all eternity, praising our God and rejoicing in his salvation in the eternal home that he has built for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.